What's up, peasants? It's your boy, Marty Ben, here to introduce this episode of Rabbit Hole Recap. Great rip, great rip. As soon as the rip ends, we get the the Biden coming in with the increased capital gains tax. 43%. Going to take it from you. High net worth individuals or high income individuals don't know what that threshold is, but come on, guys. Come on. Come on. Uncle Joe, Sleepy Joe is coming in. Wasting no time coming after all your gains. If the government hasn't uh, provided enough value via the taxes that you've already been paying, don't worry. They're going to take more. Um, and so that, that the value of the services that they're providing should increase. You're loving it, right? The government's treating you well. You're getting a lot of value out of the services they're providing. Never sell freaks. Sat squeeze these motherfuckers. It's fucking disgusting. This is like late stage shit. Late stage empire shit. 43% capital gains tax. Some states, I think I saw California with their state capital gains tax, it would be 56%. Why even invest? Why even take risk? Why, why do any of this? Hey, it's for your better good. It's for better services coming from the government, which historically has provided incredible services. Incredible services. The best services ever. Thank God we have Bitcoin. This rip was brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking Cash App. Cash App's help me stack sats, send sats, receive sats, sell sats, if you so please. We're saying sats, 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 because sats are the standard. You don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. You don't have to buy a fraction of a whole Bitcoin. You can buy whole sats. There's 100 million sats in one Bitcoin. You can stack a whole one. One cuck buck will get you about like 1,400, 1,500 sats right now. I haven't looked at it. 1,700. Did not give that stat on the podcast. Second week in a row, I forgot it. So uh, 1,881 sats per cuck buck currently. <sighs> you can get cash back if you're using their boost card and you have your boost enabled. You can get cash back at partner merchants and then sometimes even have sats back. If you go spend anywhere, you get a percentage of your purchase back in sats using their boost card, which is accepted anywhere. Visa is accepted. Uh, really cool, too. You can personalize the boost card, the cash card. Um, and then on top of that, Cash App can be your bank account. They're offering account numbers and routing numbers. You can get your uh, paychecks direct deposited into the app, and then you can stack sats easier. You can DCA in the sats on the app. You can set it and forget it by a daily, weekly, biweekly. Cash App, great way to get it into Bitcoin. Easy way to get it into Bitcoin. If you haven't downloaded it yet, make sure you use the code Stacking Success. S T A C K I N G S A T S. You are going to get ten dollars, and ten dollars is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. Owls Lacrosse. This rip was also brought to you by a very, 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 very good friends at Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is bringing financial services to Bitcoiners, leveraging Bitcoin's native properties, and nothing uh, highlights their their ethos and the products that they're building better than their Vault product, which allows you to engage in a two or three multi-sig uh, wallet, a Vault, where you hold two keys, Unchained holds one. You always have control of your UTXOs. You can move them out of the Vault yourself if you have your two keys, but Unchained is always there with that third key. If you're ever in a pinch and you need them to be the two the second and the two or three 
signature scheme of the multi-sig setup. Uh, they have a white glove concierge service for you freaks. Specifically, if you tell them that TFTC sent you, you're going to get $50 off this package, which includes multiple video conference calls. You're going to talk to Phil Geiger and team legends at Unchained Capital. They're going to walk you through their Volt program. They're going to walk you through multi-sig in general. They're going to get you comfortable with both. They're going to get you hardware wallets. They're going to get you comfortable with setting up your private public key pairs and protecting your seed and best practices around all of that. And then once you're comfortable, once you understand how multi-sig works, how their Vault pro product works specifically, once you have your derivation pass saved, your private keys produced and backed up, your seed phrase is backed up, you're going to create a Vault. You're going to hold two keys. Unchained's going to hold one. And then they're going to dump $1,000 worth of Bitcoin into the Vault thousand dollars worth of sats into the vault so go check it out beyond that they have their their lending platform and they have incredible content parker lewis is gradually then suddenly uh drew bansal bitcoin in space a bunch of other stuff what's up son son you want in on this what are you going to do with that orange you can't eat that orange it's not peeled yet oh, just through the orange anyway back to unchained uh Incredible content, incredible products. Go check them out, www.unchained-capital.com. It's www.unchained-capital.com. Again, tell them TFTC sent you for that white glove concierge vault setup. Uh, they'll take $50 off. We will link to that specifically in the show notes. This rip is also brought to you by our good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. Hoddle Hoddle. They have a lend platform, a lending platform that is now available for U.S. citizens. So Lend at HodlHodl is a new non-custodial Bitcoin-backed lending platform that allows peer-to-peer -peer lending and borrowing between users globally, anonymously, and on your own terms. I met a Bitcoiner here in Austin last Friday who's been using the, the Lend product and, it, and the other side of the Lend product where you can actually put stable coins up to get yield on those, and he's extremely happy with it. Uh, I'm not going to dox who it was specifically, but... He's been interacting with the, the product and he likes it a lot. So if you're short of funds, you don't need to sell your Bitcoins. Again, the service is open to U.S. citizens. No KYC, private, anonymous, no doxing. Get some liquidity by borrowing, using your Bitcoin as collateral. And the great thing is that you don't need to entrust someone with your funds. Your collateral always remains locked in escrow and you control a key to it. Right? Again, leveraging Bitcoin's native multi-sig property. You'll set up a, a multi-sig escrow, which you'll hold one key and you'll be able to monitor that you're... Uh, sats are not being rehypothecated. If you have some stable coins again, like around, you are looking to get uh, returns on those. Linda Hoddle Hoddle offers uh, returns on that market as well. So create your offers and set your own terms at lend.hoddlehoddle.com. That's lend.hoddlehoddle.com. Last but not least, this rip is brought to you by our good friends at Brains. It's Brains.os, B R A I I N S, B R A I NS. And Brains is the team behind Slushpool. Uh, they've been doing incredible things in the Bitcoin space since 2013. Slushpool was the first ever Bitcoin mining pool. They dropped that uh, and they've been producing incredible uh, products for Bitcoiners since then, uh, particularly with their Brains OS Plus firmware. Uh, in 2000, whenever Amplied came out, I think it was 2017, became aware that Bitmain uh, had a backdoor on their machines. And so Brains did not like that, so they created firmware that Bitmain uh, users could download and so they didn't have to depend on Bitmain's firmware, which was backdoored, and, and they could uh, use a firmware that was safe and was actually not going to turn off their machine randomly. Uh, and on top of that, the Brains OS Plus firmware 
makes uh, machines more efficient so you can stack more sats. You can get more you can get more bang out of your hash, more sats out of your hash. Um, right now, Brains OS Plus is available for S9s, S19s, excuse me, S17s and T17s. On top of that, Brains is working on uh, the open source decentralized mining pool known as Stratum V2 alongside Macarello and Square Crypto. Uh, they're working on What's Miner firmware as well. When What's Miner, Ed? Ed, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a, a, a bowl of queso on your head if I don't see this What's Miner. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're not going to get personal. I'm not going to, I'm not going to threaten you with cheese. I know you're deathly afraid of cheese, Ed Evanson. Evanson? Evanson, excuse me. I know you don't like the cheese. I won't, I won't torture you with the cheese. Don't worry, Ed. You freaks to go check out everything Brains is doing. Again, behind Slush Pool, they've got this firmware that helps you stack more sats. They've got great content about mining, educational content. And they've got profitability tools as well. So if you're a miner and you want to plug in your electricity rates, the mining model you're using, uh, hash rate, and all that jazz, they've got a great profitability calculator as well. So go check all this out at Brains, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Enjoy this rip. Enjoy the end of the empire. Hey, 43% capital gains tax freaks. They're coming for it. They're coming for it. They deserve it too. They, they provide a great service. They should get all this money. They're going to invest it well. They're going to deploy it well. Your quality of life's going to increase. The wealth gap's not going to increase. This is going to incentivize people to like hide, hide money in, in offshore accounts or anything like that. It's certainly not going to happen. Enjoy this rip. Okay. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What is up, freaks? Yeehaw! Welcome back to Rabbit Hole Recap. <laughs> it's your boy Marty Ben here with Matt O'Dell. I'm still down in Austin, checking out the city, checking out the scenes, getting acclimated with the Bitcoin scene down here. Matt O'Dell coming hot off a hot week. Two appearances with Michael Saylor on two different shows on Michael's Saylor Academy yesterday with Stefan and Michael. And I forget the third gentleman's name. And then BTC sessions last Friday, you, you crashed that session. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, the Sailor Academy was awesome. Uh, so much respect for what he's done over there. You know, it's such a great uh, education resource, all for free. Which is, uh, I feel like he doesn't get enough credit for that. That's pretty commendable. And yeah. uh, Stefan, it was it was the final, it was his final course. So Stefan's been working like super hard getting that Bitcoin course together. So everyone should go check that out. That's completely free. Yeah, go check it out. I was able to catch it first 20 minutes um really good back and forth conversation and then uh you and stefan dove into why privacy is important right after michael left correct yeah i mean it was just the whole point was supposed to be uh like a beginner's uh an hour a tight hour for a beginner on practically using bitcoin uh which is i kind of really enjoyed it because because 
the three of us, me, you, Stefan, you know, we have hours and out, hundreds of hours of Bitcoin content, um, like no beginner content. So it was like a really nice tight hour of beginner content. And I like, I sent it to a bunch of like friends and family and stuff. Um, because I, I think it's like a really, it's a good, it's a good place to start if you, if you're new to Bitcoin. Yeah, I agree. No, I caught the, uh, the part where you were just saying, Hey, when you're, you're taking custody, practice makes perfect, spin up a wallet, send small amounts, comfortable sending transactions, wipe the wallet, recover the wallet, get comfortable with that. That's what we got to do freaks. Practice makes perfect in this space. Demands extreme responsibility. 100%. So Marty, I uh, noticed this beautiful hat you got there. Are, are you officially a Texan now? Are we ever going to see you back in the Northeast or is this a permanent move? I'll be back in the Northeast on Sunday. I don't know if I could ever be considered a Texan having been born and raised in Philadelphia. Lived predominantly in the Northeast and Midwest for most of my life. It ends short stint in South Carolina. But yeah, no, I do think um, the prospect of me and my family moving down here for for at least a couple of years is is looking pretty promising right now. Uh, after this summer, I think we may head south. The, the Bitcoin scene here is insane. It reminds me a lot of New York when when I first moved there. And uh, well, a lot of the New Yorkers have moved there. I know. I'm actually meeting. I've met up with a, a bunch of them, uh, like catching up since they moved here, and, and it just, it, yeah, it's exactly what it was like in New York: meeting people for breakfast, for coffee, just to talk Bitcoin. Really high quality bit devs that was thrown at Unchained Capital's offices uh, last Thursday. Uh, went to a bar after barbecue after, and just yeah, just the vibe uh, reminds me a lot of what New York was last year, the year before, many years before that. It seems like the, the meat space shelling point of the Bitcoin mindshare has shifted south, uh, at least in my perspective. It was, it was, and that's actually, when it comes to content, I think that it's important to be in these spots, like going to BitDevs and going through all of the PRs and all this stuff going on, it just like sharpens your mind to, to what's going on in Bitcoin and, and keeps you fresh and Obviously, there's a lot of people coming in and out of town here. Um, so for the podcast, uh, it'll be easy to catch more legit guests. And then on top of that, you it's have... cheat code. It is a cheat code. It is. Are you going to come join us? You should come join I wonder... That was an... It's an interesting... I might. I might. It was an interesting... I'll definitely come visit my Austin boys. I've uh, been meaning to for a while. I got to make it happen. Happen. I had massive FOMO. Uh, I've, I still have massive FOMO because you're still down there. But between bit devs and the beef steak, um, I just just ridiculous amounts of FOMO. But that's an interesting point you made about the mind share moving to Austin. Uh, I wonder, like, I feel like Bitcoiners are more mobile people uh, because we have fuck you money. Um, so I wonder if we see that happen more often or if you know there's a lot of austin maximalists that say like that this was the move right like now austin is the citadel of the united states like is there going to be another move in five years or 10 years or something i wonder we'll see yeah i don't know if this will be my permanent home but uh talking to parker lewis about it he he describes it as we have to retreat to texas to austin uh, batten up the defenses down here and then and then attack north 
east and west as well. If if you read if you read my private messages with Parker, you would think part of his job description is just to induce FOMO in me for not living in Austin. <laughs> what has he been saying behind the scenes? It's like his like new title at Unchained Capital is like just get get as much FOMO into Matt Odell as possible. <laughs> right. I mean, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy what's going on down here. The uh, it's a good vibe. It's a good vibe. I mean, the city does remind me a lot of Brooklyn some of the bad parts of Brooklyn and the the social aspects of it in terms of virtue signaling. But uh, I think the, the Bitcoin mind share more than makes up for that. And so it'll be cool to check it out. It's a nice walkable city too. I've been getting my steps in down here. I'm averaging well over 10,000 steps a day, just walking around. I saw your final thought that you're going to walk more. I, you know, that's one the good thing about having dogs. I have to walk all the time. Yeah. It's a, um, Good activity. I mean, Parker told me, Parker told me that if uh, if uh, the mayor's office in Austin and uh, the local government keeps going down a poor trajectory, then uh, he's just going to run for mayor himself and take that on. So, yeah, that's how he. I, I, that's how I don't, he I don't uh, find that hard to believe. I would completely see him do that. Oh no, I, I think he's dead serious when he says that. He ended bit devs last week. Uh, there's a there's a proposition vote. May 1st, if you're down here, they're trying to get the tents um, out of the city again, and the homeless tents, and that's how Parker ended the the meetup. He was like, hey, if you're in Austin, make sure you get out and vote, and if this persists, I'm going to run for mayor, and he's dead serious about that. He's a, he's a very staunch Texan Austinite that, that wants to see the city thrive with Bitcoin in mind. Uh, it's It's fun. Hung out with Alex Leishman, been hanging out with Ryan Gentry from Lightning Labs a lot. There's uh, a lot of good things going on down here. It'd be cool, too. I'm going to put this out there on Chain Capital if you're listening. If you guys move to a new office, just get like a couple extra spaces. Maybe Great American Mining can rent one out. Lightning Labs Business Development Team can rent one out. We got a nice little mind share in the office. Think about it. All right. Should we get to Bitcoin? Big list. I mean, yeah. Hit us. Current price of Bitcoin is $54,480 according to Clark Moody's dashboard. That's $40 off from what we're seeing on Crypto Watch. If you're watching the live stream, uh, we're at a $1.02 trillion cuck buck market cap right now. We're 16% off the all-time highs, which are $64,840. Uh, and that was hit on April 14th, so a little over a week ago. Uh, right now, one Bitcoin is going to get you 30.2 ounces of gold. That's 8.7% of the total gold market cap. We're at block 680,158 in the 680,000s now. Past that threshold in the last uh, two days. So we're chilling there. Uh, 18,688,000. 398.46 Bitcoin have been distributed to the market. That's 88.99% of all the Bitcoin that will ever exist, which is 21 million, if you guys did not know. Uh, we are currently 1,250 blocks away from the next difficulty adjustment, which is estimated as of right now to be May 1st, 2021. Uh, it is estimated to be a downward adjustment of 22.1% right now and that is because blocks are coming in at 12 minutes 51 seconds on average we'll get into 
what's going on, why blocks are coming in so slow. On the list, very interesting case study and actually pretty bullish, even though blocks are coming in uh, relatively slow compared to the 10-minute block tar production target. Uh, the story behind what's going on there is actually pretty bullish, if you ask me, and we'll get to that. Uh, oh, we will. Mempool, 114,665 transactions in Clark's uh, mempool, excuse me. What else have we got? Predicted next block, high fees, fee versus rewards approaching 20%. There will be a estimated 1.5 Bitcoin um, reward in that, or excuse me, fee part of the, the reward, which is pretty significant. Going to Samurai Whirlpool capacity. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm like stumbling through this. I'm, I'm using my small laptop monitor and like early morning the, rip. It's fine. <laughs> well, that and like all the all the boxes are not where they usually are. My big monitor. Unspent capacity is at two thousand three hundred twenty nine point nine two. That's a significant increase. One hundred twenty seven point two million. Right? Wasn't it hover, hovering around like twenty one hundred? What is that now? Twenty three two nine. It popped last week, if I recall correctly. Yeah, uh, after the uh, guns and Bitcoin. I think it might have been a combination of guns and Bitcoin and also like fee expectations, right? A Whirlpool specifically, if, if you expect fees to go up, you want to get into Whirlpool before the, the transaction fees go up. Yeah, well, let's let's start off with that. I, I saw you were tweeting about that a lot this week. You discussed it as well. Um, and Wiz was Talk of the town. It, right, like how... How urgent is the fee situation? And obviously this fall on hash rate uh, is playing into that, particularly during the last week, but uh, just terms of long-term thinking as a Bitcoiner and how to prepare for future transactions today with fees in mind. Yeah, so I mean, like we had a, for, for dispatch, if you haven't listened to dispatch yet, we have like an hour conversation in the beginning, just Bitcoin transaction fees. Um, so consider go listening to that uh, if you're a freak that is curious. I mean, I think we got to dive into this pretty hard, especially from the mining angle about what caused it, right? Um, I think we all expect fees to go up long-term and it's something that we've been, uh, I, I think we can rest easy at night, Marty, that uh, we've been getting the freaks ready for this. I mean, we've been incessant. We've been, if anything, we've been such a broken record about it that some people were like, you know, Matt and Marty have lost the plot. Like they just keep talking about these fees and they're just never coming, you know? Um, so I, I think people need to get prepared. And, and fortunately, when we have these little spikes, it, it tends to knock some sense into people. You realize all of a sudden you're like, oh, fuck, I wasn't ready at all. Um, but, but in this case, right, in this case, I mean, the number one thing is no matter what happens, fees should go down substantially after the next difficulty adjustment. Now, they might not completely clear, and it might be the start of this, of this new fee market for this cycle, right, where, where we have, like, sustained high fees, but they should go down substantially from where they are right now. So if you don't have to make a transaction, just sit the fuck, you know, sit the fuck down and just wait it out, right? Yes. And so... Why are fees high right now? What's happening? And why is this bullish? In my mind, at least. So for you freaks that are unaware, um, there was a, a coal power plant accident in a province in China. I can't remember off the top of my head if it was Xinjiang or Sichuan. 
Um, but basically there was a, a huge accident at a coal power plant and uh, the government regulators came in and said, hey, we need to shut down all the coal power plants in this area to do like safety checks to make sure everything. Wasn't it a coal mine? Yeah, it was a coal. Well, yeah, no, I think it was like close to a power plant. Like it got flooded out and some workers, I believe like a dozen uh, people working at the mine um, lost, lost their life, which is extremely sad. But in the context of Bitcoin, these uh, miners were forced to shut down because the coal plant shut down and that was their, their power source. And what we found is that hash rate, uh, now that we have um, a bit of a retrospective look back in the last week and a half, particularly, it seems that 25% of the network hash rate fell off the network, which is pretty considerable, obviously, but not as much as people would expect if, if you're to believe the FUD and fear-mongering coming from a lot of Bitcoin's detractors that say 60% uh, of Bitcoin mining is within the, the borders of, of China. And so with this particular province, it was estimated before this shock that 80% uh, that of Bitcoin mining within China is happening here outside of rainy season uh, because that's where the cheap power is. Um, and so there was actually Mustafa, what's his last name? From Bixen, is it at Bixen on Twitter? He wrote a nice thread basically saying this is actually extremely bullish um, because if we were to take those estimates uh, and extrapolate them to the Bitcoin percentage, the mining percentage in um, China. So yeah, this incident happened in, in Xinjiang uh, and it dropped by an estimate 20, 25%. And if we were to take the estimates that the FUDsters are throwing at, that would, uh, that would have equated to like 40 to 50% of hash rate should have fallen off if, if what they're saying is true. So it seems that there's considerably less hash rate concentrated in China than was previously thought. So but it doesn't really prove that. No, you can't. Well, you can't really prove it with any certainty. You're ballparking, right? The absence of evidence isn't evidence. Yes. Right? Like it, we we know we know what like twenty to twenty five percent of the hash is located in an area of China that could be shut down at the same time as each other. That's like all we know from this event. Yes, but you can look at pools. And you see how much hash rate fell off the pools, and you sort of extrapolate from there as well. That's another data data point that you take. And so, at least a lot of people in the mining industry are saying, "Hey, this this actually may." may prove, not prove, but it may hint that, that there's less hash rate within China than it's previously, previously thought. But in the context of fees and why fees are going up, obviously, if you have a lot of the hash rate, 25% of the network hash rate coming off the network, uh, between difficulty adjustments, uh, it's going to be the difficulty target's going to be at a certain point where it's expecting a certain amount of hash rate uh, to produce blocks every 10 minutes, 25% falls off, that means blocks are going to come in uh, much slower. And so at one point, on average, blocks are coming in at like 13 minutes and 30 seconds. Right now, as we said, when we're reading the dashboard, they're coming in at about 12 minutes and 51 seconds. So it seems that uh, hash rate is coming back on. Kevin Zhang from Foundry, he said that uh, earlier this week that he expected the miners that were forced to shut down, that were using uh, the coal power plant and electricity generation as their energy source, 
uh, to come on within one to two weeks. Thomas Heller, um, who's at Compass Mining, uh, formerly of F2 Pool, he tweeted out this morning that it looks like some of them are even starting to come up uh, and, get, and hash. Um, they're turning their miners on again already, uh, and that's evidence. You can see the pool, the pool hash rates, specifically the Chinese pools, starting to increase again. So it seems like the hash rate that was turned off is coming back on right now. Again, the next difficulty adjustment, 1,250 blocks estimated to be May 1st, but that could be subject to change between now and then. I mean, I think uh, the the generalization of of using it as a as a bullish claim for you know uh, hash distribution is a little bit of a stretch. But I mean, the bullish angle is that you can pull 25% of hash off the network, which is something we already knew, right? But for the haters, that you could you could pull that amount of hash off the network. And Bitcoin keeps on working. You know, it's working as designed. You can still send a transaction. It's going to cost you more money. Um, but if you want to send a transaction that confirms the next block, you can do it. The network will still, you know, they will charge you the market rate for it. Um, but but you can do it. And you can do it the whole time that this was happening. Yeah. Like when you think of disruption, 25% of the hash rate falls off and blocks are coming in at 13 minutes and 30 seconds uh, at the, the peak of the hash rate decline. Not terribly bad, right? And right now, like looking at mempool.space, low priority transactions. Uh, so if you're willing to wait a bit, 153 sats per byte or $11.63, a high priority 262. So next block, 262 sat per byte or 19, around $20. The problem already is like in this fee environment, like I, the low estimate isn't really a good estimate because it just can run away from you. Like I, I know I've, I've had so many and, and I, I think hopefully this will be a wake up call for a lot of people in the industry. You know, we've come a long way. Lightning has come substantially far uh, for people like me and you. Uh, you know, I don't even make many on chain transactions anymore. I was, you know, I was ready for this. I can st continue to make uh, lightning transactions. Um, but there, there's there's still a big disconnect for new coiners. And, and this idea of trying to conceptualize what the fee market is how to deal in a, in a high fee environment. Um, a lot of these wallets and services like aren't really set up to, to handle it. I mean, we have on the list like Cash App, you know, they, they increase their, their withdrawal limit because they pay the fee. They would increase their withdrawal limit from 10,000 sats to 100,000 sats today. Um, so it's like, uh, you know, these are pain points. And specifically where I was going with that is, you know, I've gotten so many DMs about it, which is one of the reasons why we focused on it on dispatch. One of the reasons why we're focused on it now um, is like, there's people that like three days ago, they went on to mempool space or their wallet was, you know, either integrating with mempools APIs or someone else's fee calculation APIs. And it said, you know, if you want to get in, in six blocks or 20 blocks, you pay this fee and then the fees just run away from you. You know, like they never, they keep going up. So you, you don't, you never, you, that prediction is a bullshit prediction. And it's very hard for someone to conceptualize, you know, do I pay 150 sats or 200 sats or 250 sats per byte? And to me really has always been, you know, you either, you either go for that next block in this kind of environment, you either go for that next block or you're in the long term. Like I, I, this idea that you're like targeting seven blocks in like a high fee environment is kind of bullshit. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, it's it's too hard to tell. And then you're competing with like exchanges uh, and other 
service providers that <laughs> need to get move Bitcoin around and, and will will pay to do that. The service they're providing means they're willing to pay to do that. And so you can get squeezed out by them. Very interesting case study. Very interesting case study. Uh, and so I guess from a best practices perspective, what we can tell newer freaks, newer Bitcoiners, people who are just getting in, if you're buying on an exchange and you want to send to cold storage, when you do send to cold storage, you should always want to send it to cold storage or a wallet that you control at least. Uh, you want to make sure that you're sending UTXOs that are that are pretty big, right? Depends. Yeah, like, the bigger the better. Well, how big? Do you, how? What do you think is the minimum amount, Marty? <laughs> hard question, right? I don't want to sound like a like an elitist, but like pretentious asshole, right? Like a million sats. <laughs> a million sats? You think the right amount is uh, six hundred dollars? Anything under that is? Uh, I mean, I would even say higher. If I mean, if you're stacking. Right now, I've been saying five hundred thousand sats. I would so like our TFTC node to practice what I pe preach. I, I moved it down to a 500 sat minimum channel. So if you want to open a channel, you can get like a high efficiency routing node uh, at 500,000 sats. Yes. But that's a reach. Like I, I'm just trying to be accessible. Yeah. And so we're to the, I don't want to put a sat threshold on it, but just as you're transacting, <laughs> you're thinking as a Bitcoiner, don't be sending like five dollar, five cuck bucks. You can't even now yeah, on Cash App. At like fifty dollar, like probably not enough. Um, if if the fee you can't even do that on Cash App anymore. Well, Cash App is hundred thousand sats, so it's fifty four dollars right now. Yeah, hopefully this hopefully this pushes people towards Lightning. Right, exchanges particularly. Looks like I lost Matt. Yeah, that's the real answer. Oh, there uh, you. Am I? You, you see me now? The real answer, and I said this on Sailor Academy because I, I, that video is going to last for a while. It's like if you're watching this in like a year or two years, like you're probably just never going to touch the chain, right? You just onboard directly onto Lightning and you live there. And then if you hit a certain threshold and you want to put like your savings away, then you make an on-chain transaction. But most people will never hit the chain. They'll either use Lightning Liquid or another layered option. Yeah. And hopefully we see more adoption because these, this fee pressure is, is up. And I could see people clutching pearls right now and screaming oh my gosh bitcoin's centralized people aren't people aren't touching on chain like does that is bitcoin doing what it's supposed to do yes like this is something that's been predicted for a while again i've talked about it many times in this podcast in the newsletter december 2010 hal finney wrote a bitcoin banks uh, forum post on bitcointalk.org and basically predicted this like hey in the future if bitcoin reaches enough adoption people are going to get priced out of on chain and you're going to have medium of exchange and and stuff pushed to second layers i don't think when he wrote the post he, he envisioned anything like lightning coming to market he talked about like a free banking system where you'd have like bitcoin banks have bitcoin in reserves and then they issue their own uh, coins that that can be used as a medium of exchange with with lighter fees uh but rest in peace Hal. since he's passed we've had things like lightning come to market and i think that is something that's fulfilling the the vision that he had from the onset like these things are predictable if you understand the nature of scarce block space and just try to extrapolate 
scarce block space with a certain amount of people trying to use the chain. Um, this stuff's yeah. going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I triggered a lot of people this week because I said fees are designed to pump forever. Um, but, you know, block space is scarce and uh, demand is 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 trends up forever. So, so fees are going to also pump forever and you should expect it. You should prepare for it. Um, I think Lightning is, you know, so, so the cool thing about Bitcoin is that you have a bunch of different, because it's an open protocol, you're going to have a bunch of different options. Right now you have Lightning Liquid and you have centralized custodial options. The centralized custodial options are obviously not ideal. That's probably more in line um, with what Hal was thinking, uh, but at least they compete with each other and users can move. Um, Liquid is like a balance in between, which is like kind of feels like a free banking type of situation with the federation, you know, not quite custodial, but not quite trust minimized fully, you know. Uh, and then Lightning is kind of this interesting beast that has more complexity, but as a, re as a result, you have a, way less trust and it's kind of interesting in this fee situation compared to let's say 2017 um the similarities is all the bcash shills have come out uh the difference is what's interesting is bitcoin both has substantially higher on-chain fees than something like bcash or you know like a shit coin like an extra shit coin like litecoin or something i guess bcash is is if not more of a shit coin than light litecoin even you know equal at least um not only are the, the, our on-chain fees are higher, but our lightning fees are lower. So some Bitcoiners are paying the lowest transaction fees in the industry because they're on lightning or the, even if they're on liquid, very few people are using liquid, but liquid right now is 0.1 sats per byte. So, um, but then there's another set of Bitcoiners that are paying, you know, the highest fees in the industry. So it's an interesting dichotomy and it should, you know, start pushing people into these, these other options um, and pushing wallets into trying to figure it out. I mean, like if you're a wallet, um, and you only offer on chain, you're like, what the fuck am I doing right now? Like my users are just going to move to other wallets, you know, things like moon wallet, which, you know, are, 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 are focused on being both lightning and on chain and giving you that flow. M U U N um, moon wallet. Yeah. I've, they got to change the name. I'm sorry guys. I love you, but it's just like so hard to talk about on the, on air. Um, the other thing is, uh, that I wanted to mention, and maybe you can, you know, since you're on the mining side. I think it's really cool that people forget about transaction fees is that in this situation, right? Like we have, you have 25% of, of uh, the miners leave the network, right? Or approximately. And so then you have the remaining miners, right? And, and you have this difficulty adjustment that is supposed to target two weeks, right? But when you have less hash, uh, it's going to take a longer period of time. And this is where you, you end up in this situation that all the fudgsters love to call like the mining death spiral. And what's really cool about transaction fees is the free market essentially comes in and increases transaction fees with demand because the, the blocks are coming in slower and it incentivizes both, it, it provides a higher profit margin. You know, people like you guys, like a GAM are making way more money because of the transaction fees. And even if in an elongated period, it can incentivize people to bring hash online that wasn't online before um, because they want to they want to get that profit, which is really fucking cool way it works. Yeah, it's extremely dynamic. Can confirm. Uh, I've been watching our rewards flow in from our pool over the last week and they have gone up. We've been we've been stacking more sets than we would have if if hash rate remained static or was going up over over this difficulty epoch. And yeah, like you said, 
like the the way mining economics work like you're basically just looking at a profitability level that takes your electricity costs into consideration and obviously the block reward and the amount of dollars that you can get from that to, to liquidate the cover opex and hopefully hold some sats on top of that and so if fee pressure goes up and you're stacking more sats per block as a miner like there there's certainly situations out there where you may have people who have s9s and have like a three cent electricity rate where it wasn't profitable a couple of weeks ago but now that, that hash rate has fallen off and block rewards have gone up they, they can plug in because it actually makes sense it's profitable they're going to be able to cover their opex and stack some sats on top of that and yeah, it's extremely dynamic. And another thing this situation highlights, and I obviously talk in my book here, disclaimer, I work for Great American Mining, but I think it validates one of our theses, which is that uh, if Bitcoin wants to be sufficiently distributed um, and miners want to be sufficiently robust against these types of events happening uh, on power grids, like off-grid mining uh, is, is going to be essential like uh, this modularized container mining that we're doing in the field sort of distributes our operational risk uh, across many different geographic locations. So uh, we don't find ourselves in a situation where uh, one big act of a, a government regular coming in and coming in and shutting down a centralized on-grid power facility affects our whole operation. We do certainly have instances where Oh, uh, well, bad could have some flow issues or something like that that would take down a container temporarily. But uh, with our off-grid distributed model, we're not really, we don't have really concentrated risk from a regulatory or just freak accident perspective, which is uh, something to think about. No, yeah, that's a really cool dynamic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And it's, it's uh, I think on-grid versus off-grid, particularly like five years from now, it'll be interesting to see how that, that shifts. Uh, obviously, it's predominantly on-grid now, but it'll be interesting to see if, if people get priced off the grid or if grid systems start producing uh, considerably more electricity that can then be up by miners, uh, the extra excess capacity. Great case study in Bitcoin. Systems extremely robust, extremely resilient. I think it's bullish. I do think, you know, you said it's hard to tell, it's hard to prove. I do think this does give us some insight into uh, the, I don't want to say fact, but the possibility that there is considerably less, less hash rate within China's borders than a lot of the FUDsters would, would like us to believe. I just don't understand how 25% of the hash getting cut off in a single street is being flipped to say like, oh, this is like great for distribution of mining. Well, no, it's, I said in the newsletter I wrote earlier this week, it is certainly still very concentrated, but not as concentrated as many would have had you believe. And there's another, so another actually interesting tidbit with this particular situation, this may expedite the the annual migration of Chinese miners um, to the Sichuan province, province from Xinjiang uh, because of the, the rainy season, which is starting now. So it's like about to happen, right? Yeah, it's starting now. But that's like another narrative. Like I never heard that narrative before until like six months ago when they were like, up, oh, all the miners are moving. And that was the 
like those those two times six months ago and, and today and this week were like the, were those the two largest single difficulty adjustment hash pulls let's pull it up i know you don't like this website but my favorite i just <laughs> btc like just a steel man just a steel man it for like a second like like we don't trust the CCP, right? So like if the CCP is cutting 25% of the hash, they could easily leave the, you know, the remaining 20% they have online just to be like, oh, you know, it's only 25%. Yeah, that's a good point. They could be testing us, you know, they could be fucking get us used to, you know, seeing these rug pulls and hash and, and not get, you know, triggered by them. Yeah. Not uh, like I was, I was saying to, and I, I want to be absolutely clear here that, you know, I am, ex if anything, I get shit for being too bullish on Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm extremely bullish on Bitcoin, but I think it's important that, that Bitcoiners are adversarial. Um, and if you were going to talk about a state actor fucking with Bitcoin, uh, one of the ways the argument is, is that they would pull a large amount of hash at the beginning of difficulty adjustments. Right. And it's like, I feel like we're trying to normalize this idea like that's happening. And I think a very common sense thing, if you see a large amount of hash get pulled in the beginning of a difficulty adjustment and you're a large transactor, is you should take more confirmations. Like you shouldn't, you know, all of a sudden you're going you're, you're gonna to want more confirmations uh, before you like actually settle a transaction. Yes, that's a very good point. Extend that beyond six confirmations, which for some reason is the industry norm at this point, especially if you're sending large amounts, you don't want to get double spent. Um, no, and that, and that is, it was interesting, the timing of this at the beginning of the difficulty epoch. Um, but maybe it was an unsuccessful attack or, or attempted attack, right? Like they, they thought they were going to have more if it was an attack. Like, I, I honestly think it was um, just people scrambling to quell fears in the, in the social sphere in China over and there. Then I'm curious. I'm curious on your thoughts here too. There's another theory, and this one, like, to be honest, like, I, uh, I just love these theories. So I'm just gonna say it anyway. Um, what are your thoughts about like a cartel of miners? So like, let's let's just say like, you know, there's like 20 percent. Like, a, there's a there's a group of like guys, you know, that have known each other for a while. Um, you know, our space is kind of incestuous. I imagine it's the same in Asia. Uh, that, that know each other and they want to create, uh, they want to induce a fee spike. They want to induce uh, sustained fees for the rest of the year, like a fee FOMO type of thing. Like, I feel like if you pulled, and this is something I've been hearing, but you like pull 20% of the hash and you create this fee spike, we're more likely to not, we're more likely to like continue the backlog after this than not. Would you agree? Well, it depends how how much difficulty falls by during the next adjustment. Because right now, you, right. you asked, six months ago, yes, was the second largest adjustment at beginning of November at 16.05%. Uh, the largest adjustment happened in 2011, around 18%. And as of right now... Yeah, but that one doesn't count. Yeah, it doesn't count. So modern times, November 2020 was... One the most massive at 16%. And this one right now is estimated to be at 22.1%. I want to be surprised if this ends up being so, low 20% yeah. by the time it happens, like around 18, 19%. So that'd be pretty significant. 
Yeah, it'd be like the same that happened in November. In November, it started way high. And then by the time it got to the end, more hash came back on the network. Yes. And if it is to believe the the stories that are coming out of China in this particular region with these particular miners that were forced to shut down, again, it seems like they're already coming back on. And if they're not already back on within the next week, uh, most of them will be plugged in again uh, within two weeks. And at that point, you just <laughs> have difficulty fall by let's say 15 to 18 percent and basically well, what, same what amount of hash rate as you yeah, went yeah. to the last epoch and so blocks are probably going to be coming in at like nine minutes on average on the back end but like what do you think about the theory in general that you we could have I and mean, this is one of the reasons why the difficulty adjustment is so so large that it takes you know it, the target is two weeks we saw with bcash early on they like switched their difficulty adjustment to like a 48 hour period or whatever. And it was super gameable by like cartels of miners. Like they could just pull hash and then put hash back on after the difficulty adjust and fuck with everything. But what do you think about the theory just in general that we could see, you know, maybe not even 20% of miners that we see 10% of miners or 15% of miners like doing playing games with their hash to try and like, like we saw in 2017, right? We saw like Roger Veer and stuff. At least we expect, we, we suspected them in co combination with Bitmain. They were trying to juice the fee market to pump shit coins, right? Like, how is that argument not still on the table? Like, how could you, you know, I, these guys could be neck deep in whatever shit coin. Yeah, okay, I mean, and they could be like juicing fees. And then they also get to double dip because if fees stay up after this, then they, they'll get even more profit. Yeah, I mean, you, you gotta, everything's on the table, right? It's certainly possible. It's risky, right? If you take your hash rate off and you're unsuccessful in achieving what you aim to achieve with that type of manipulation and you're, you're leaving sats on the table and depending on where your power cost is, you better hope your power cost is extremely low that you can stomach that risk. Uh, yeah, it's certainly possible. I was talking to Jimmy Song last week about another type of mining collusion that, that some people believe goes on, which is like at, at the top of these bull markets, you have large miners basically dump a ton of Bitcoin to crash the price and then squeeze out smaller miners and consolidate the mining industry um, that, that way. makes sense. Yeah. Just dri drive the profitability down to extremely low levels to try to squeeze out smaller miners that's it's one theory that exists in the bitcoin space as well is during these extreme bull runs they try to suppress the price and consolidate hash rate within a few fewer players i mean if the goal was to pump shit coins you know the shit coins are pumping they're, right they're like bcash bcash is up significantly and, <laughs> you know the miners can switch to bcash that's true if they needed to switch if they needed to um where i'm from we're not supposed to trust the fucking miners so i just i think it's important that people just think about these things because i feel like no one's really talking about it everyone's just like yeah there's like this weird thing on twitter now where it's like if you don't like just toe the party line and just say bullish things which i'm you know guilty as anyone else on <laughs> but uh it, it's like it's like then all of a sudden you're just like fudster and, and no one you know has the balls to actually talk about this shit yeah yeah i agree i agree adversarial thinking is highly important. Anyway, don't buy shitcoins, freaks. Yeah, I wouldn't advise it. These things can certainly happen. They may be happening. Again, I talk our own book at Great American Mining. Like we, we, we don't play those games. At least allegedly. 
<laughs> at least not yet. I don't know. Like maybe at scale, we think about. It. I doubt we will, but I don't think we would ever. We're dedicated to Bitcoin. Yeah. And then you have like the other thing, like the slush pools, the miners that sort of align with the slush pool mentality that they've had since they entered the mining space, which is just be true to Bitcoin. There's a lot of those that exist out there, but there's also those miners that just honestly don't give a fuck and they just want to stack as many sats as possible or as much you want or USD as possible and play these games. So something to take into consideration and to, to understand, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a very interesting case study we have in the last two weeks. People are like, oh, this is boring. It's not interesting at all. It's like, eh. It's the best part. You get you get some insight into Chinese hash rate. You get some insight into how uh, the decline hash rate will affect fees and what that will do uh, for minor profitability and what fees people are willing to pay to get included in the blocks. Um, all around. It's win-win. It proves that Bitcoin's resilient. Difficulty adjustment works. Uh, and that a fall in hash rate is not going to destroy the network. So very, very interesting stuff. It's important for the freaks to realize, especially our new freaks that weren't around for the hash wars in 2017, is that if Bitcoin relied on the good faith of miners, it'd be a failed project. The key is that we don't have to assume good faith. We just have to assume that they're greedy and they're going to act in their own best interest. And Bitcoin is robust because of that. Yes. And that's, I think that's another way to put that is that the lesson the market learned in 2017 is that miners are at the, the will of full node operators. Miners are, are, I mean, some people don't like this terminology, but they're literally slaves to the network and the consensus at any given point in time. If they want to get paid, paid out and receive the rewards uh, for expending energy and doing the proof of work to find a hash that allows them to add blocks to the Bitcoin network, they better be following consensus rules and, and making sure that only transactions that fall within the rule set are being included in the blocks. And if they don't... Well, I mean, I think some people... They waste all that energy and all that money that it took to get that energy. And the stakes only get higher I mean, I think, yeah. as the Bitcoin price goes up and as hash rate goes up because the amount of capital that goes into these operations increases significantly. So maybe there's a case to be made that that fuckery uh, becomes less likely because of the, the risk of the fucking up the capital outlay that you have in your operation at scale. I mean, I think slaves is a little bit, uh, people tend to go a little bit, you know, people hate nuance. So they go a little bit overboard. I think it's more of like a type of a Mexican standoff situation. That's at least my opinion. I think all stakeholders in this system can cause chaos at scale. And uh, we're loosely incentivized via loose game theory that, that we're not going to want to cause chaos because, you know, we have massive uh, incentive to see the Bitcoin price increase. And chaos is obviously uh, bad for business. People want stability and predictability, and they, they don't want chaos. Agreed. I think Bitcoin's incentives are beautiful. I think they work. Everybody, the only winning move is to play. To play along, as, as Michael Goldstein famously tweeted out a couple years ago. All right, let's get to the list. <laughs> uh, Venmo, they added Bitcoin IOU support, no withdrawals. Do not buy Bitcoin on Venmo. Or Robinhood. Or Robinhood. Didn't Robinhood, still didn't, seem, yeah. didn't that dude come out and like posture like they were going to add the ability to withdraw? Yeah, they're all posturing. Robinhood's posturing, and uh, Coin uh, and Coinbase and uh, Venmo is posturing, and, and 
Venmo is owned by PayPal. And so PayPal has been posturing, but I'll believe it when I see it, you know, and until then, um, nobody should be buying from them because nobody should be keeping custody with these providers anyway. So if you can't pull them off, then they're completely useless. Um, that said, uh, as we've seen with the Doge pump, uh, retail is filled with idiots and they like these platforms. These platforms have tons and tons of users. So, you know, from a number go up standpoint, uh, Benmo adding, you know, Bitcoin buys should increase the, the purchase base, you know, and, and should increase, uh, the price. I mean, I think it's, it's still as, as much as it's a roll your eyes type of news to me, especially, you know, the, the Twitter accounts that love to embellish news like this and don't mention the fact that there's no withdrawals and they make it seem like it's super, super moon things. There is definitely a balance in between there, right? It's not a non, I put it right in the front. Like I, it's not non news. It's just not as bullish as people make it seem to be. Yeah. From, I think it's, it's a news in the sense like social acceptance, Bitcoin being accepted socially across industries, like proves that whether they do it correctly or not, a lot of businesses, particularly in the FinTech arena are starting to think like, all right, we need uh, Bitcoin involved with our company in some way or form, which is pretty massive. I mean, in the U.S., there's only three really major payment, P2P, air quotes, P2P payment uh, apps, and that's Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal. And they all have Bitcoin purchases now, right? Which is pretty fucking crazy to think about. Yes. Only one allows you to withdraw right now. Disclaimer, sponsor the pod, Cash App. Uh, and they raised their withdrawal limit, so be aware of that. Can you please, anybody at Cash App listening... Like just raise your withdrawal limits, like in general. Like, gotta pump, gotta pump those withdrawal numbers. Yeah, they no, they raise their withdrawal minimum instead of their maximum. <laughs> yeah, let's raise that max maximum. We work another company that feels compelled to to posture like they they know about Bitcoin. They're accepting Bitcoin uh, as a form of payment, as long as uh, as well as other cryptocurrencies as well. I believe Coinbase is their payment processor uh, and BitPay. Uh, so not surprising. They're they're accepting Bitcoin, Ethereum, USDC, and Paxos, uh, and several other cryptocurrencies payment for its offering. And it will hold it on its balance sheet. All the cryptocurrencies are just Bitcoin. They, hold. they didn't really say. I'm just going to assume only Bitcoin. I also, I didn't list the other cryptocurrencies there. Also, Venmo has a bunch of shit coins they added as well. And I yeah. just didn't mention that. Yeah, but it's like the... Isn't Venmo like the, the like bland like Bitcoin, Litecoin, Bcash, and Ethereum or something like that? Yeah, I hate that they all add Bcash, man. Like, what the <laughs> right. fuck? Where, where's the due diligence period where you're like, I'm just going to add this completely insecure garbage fucking Bitcoin fork that's super scammy? Yeah. I don't know. People are lazy. People are lazy. And WeWork's a terrible company. I mean, this, is, this just seems like a, a PR play but, by them. But it's cool because they're accepting it for payment. They say they're going to hold it on their balance sheet. And they say if contractors want to pay them, that they'll pay the contractors. And if, if contractors will accept, you know, Bitcoin, then they'll pay them in it. Um, and I, I, I think it goes hand in hand with Coinbase has like a bunch of, they have like a big contract with them in terms of uh, office space. Um, but yeah, this is like what you kind of, you know, this is 
I think it's, it's more bullish than like a 2017 news headline where they're just accepting it for payment and immediately converting it. Yeah. But BitPaying, Coinbase as their partners. Come on. Come on. Come on. All right, on to more interesting news and more important news, in my opinion. Uh, Coin Center's letter uh, this week, they sent another letter. Did they send this directly to, yeah, they sent it directly to the Financial Action Task Force, which again is a, an unelected group of bureaucrats who create guidelines around KYC AML compliance that for some reason all the large financial institutions just adopt wholeheartedly. And so Coin Center wrote a letter uh, and a comment to the Financial Action Task Force uh, and their posturing about potential guidelines that they're going to put forth for virtual asset service providers or anybody, Bitcoin exchange, uh, any other service provider uh, that interacts with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies about KYC AML. And I, I think this was really well done, particularly the like really pushing the ball forward and like, Hey, if you're tying identities to particular addresses with particular amounts of Bitcoin, like you were literally putting people in physical harm's way, which is something we just need to keep leaning into as, as hard as possible. That and, yeah, I appreciated that. Yeah, that and the fact that these regulations are completely ineffective. They don't do anything to stop the actual crimes that they purport to to stop. Yeah, you know, they're like twice a year, three times a year, Coin Center does something that earns their yearly donation from me, and, and this is <laughs> one of them. Uh, I, I do think uh, I share the criticism a lot of other people share that they've focused a little bit too much on trying to, um, to, to, to make it legal for these companies to dump unregistered securities on retail, uh, which is just an issue I could give two shits about um, on either side. Uh, but it's, it's nice to see them come back to the basics of, of, of basically as simple as, you know, they, they, they said it straight up. They were like, having KYC information tied to a Bitcoin withdrawal address is, is extremely dangerous for users, which is fantastic. That's clear, straight to the point. Love to see it. Go support Coin Center. Shout out Jerry Brito, Naraj, Peter Van, Vol Van Balkenberg. Um, this was actually from Peter specifically. Um, really, really, yeah, really straight to the point. Good letter. I mean, again, like we said it last week, FATF isn't even a legal entity in France. Like they're not even, it's like some weird attack on society that was just like like nobody voted for them nobody asked for them they didn't go through any like legal procedures like domicile like as as like a regulatory agency apparently and yet they have all this power it's weird it's weird why do these people have all this power more people need to speak up against them don't give them the power they need to destroy the financial action task force there's like two demons within there that we got to protect ourselves against. Everybody else may be like well-meaning people, but there's definitely a demon or two within, within the halls of, of FATF. So shout out to Coin Center. Uh, be aware. And there's like fight back. Keep leaning into the fact that these people are unelected. They shouldn't have no say over any of these regulations. And more importantly, these regulations are, are wholly ineffective. Like they literally do not stop the crimes that they're trying to, and they put more people in harm's way and they save people. 
Bitcoin and governments, Turkey, they want to ban. They want to ban Bitcoin. Turkey's banning Bitcoin. Oh, this, is, this is interesting, right? They, they want to ban Bitcoin payments. Yeah. Not, you can buy, hold, sell, trade. I just, you can't, they don't want you to go buy a sandwich with it. Are they doing that buy, hold, sell, trade? They want it on third parties though, right? Of course. I mean, you're going to yeah. do it on a regulated custodian, but this is what we've been talking about, right? Is, is they go for the withdrawal and the, the circular economy. Like the real threat to these authoritarian regimes is, is Bitcoin becoming a proper circular economy and you just route around all of their bullshit. Yeah. So they don't want merchants downloading BTC pay server, accepting payments that way. They don't want individual citizens sending Bitcoin to personal wallets. So here is the official press release and the bullet points they have laid out. Crypto assets entail significant risk to the relevant parties due to the following reasons. They are not they are neither subject to any regulation and supervision mechanisms nor essential regulatory authority. Their market values can be excessively volatile. They may be used in illegal actions due to their anonymous structures. Wallets can be stolen or used unlawfully without the authorization of their holders and transactions are irrevocable. So another class doing case. it for their own protection. Yeah. yeah. Another classic case of the state doing all this, taking these freedoms away from you to protect you. You are not smart enough to protect yourself. You need the Turk Turkish government to come in and protect you from yourself. Any Turks listening to this. Another uh, key aspect here, and you mentioned it in passing, um, this is why it's so important that we have open source uh, projects and tools like BTC Pay Server um, that allow these merchants to, you know, disobey their masters. And, and because uh, like a BitPay or even, you know, fuck BitPay, but like even like an open node who we love on the pod, but is a centralized company, they can't operate there. Like as soon as the end of this month, they can know they'll be breaking Turkish law if they operate there, right? But with BTC Pay Server, it's a free open source project. If a merchant wants to keep accepting payments, um, they can, and they can do it on their own in a self-sovereign way. And if governments want to try and enforce it and stop it, they're going to have to go store by store, merchant by merchant, and basically like get them in like undercover operations, right? Where they like pretend like they're just a, a customer or a client that wants to pay in Bitcoin and, and like catch them in the act. That's like the only way to enforce it. Yeah. Dirty bodega owners accepting Bitcoin without the eyes of the state protecting you from yourself. How dare you? Off to the gulag. Speaking of BTC pay server, let's just go right into shout outs. We got four shout outs this week. Before we forget, let's get into them. First one up, good shout outs this week too. This, uh, this person was very proud of you last week, Matthew. I'm drunk after listening to Matt call out Sailor's custody strategy to his face and trolling teen on sessions tonight. Such a good time. Never change, Matt. Marty, you're cool too. Your boy and poker buddy, Nate. Cheers, Shout Nate. <laughs> I wasn't able to hear you call out Tina. What were you, were you saying he was too bearish? Yeah, I hit him with a little bit of taste of his own medicine. It, it got a little bit excessive. I, I will admit it wasn't... Uh, had a little bit too much to drink, but it was a fun time. Matt, what are you talking about? <laughs> I hit him with his own medicine. You know, he's like fucking, I just, I think, 
you know, uh, I'm just trying to weaponize price targets because uh, a lot of people use price targets and especially a lot of shit corners. And I, I want the plebs to realize, um, I think it's imperative that plebs stack as much as fucking possible before we have billionaire FOMO, corporate FOMO and government FOMO all kick in very fucking quickly. Um, and the only real way to, to hit the gravity of that situation is to make is is price calls uh you know is, is it really brings the point home um and bitcoin tina you know like he pretends to be a, a bull but he was saying like 200k by the end of the year and that just seems really bearish to me so tina uh, but i love you tina 100 percent, love you tina pump that tea up bro 200k <laughs> what is that <laughs> gonna pump those numbers sir we're hitting 800k by the end of the year Actually, I uh, heard an interesting theory. Like, uh, what would a Max Payne scenario be like to try to shake people out of Bitcoin this year? Uh, there's a theory about like a carry trade. Like, we we just like persist in this consolidation throughout the summer. Uh, we get an ETF. Everybody closes their shorts. We like rip it higher, and then you have like an echo bubble in the altcoin world they pump too and then everything crashes after the etf hype and uh we get like max pain again and like that the shit, max pain like, situation happened in 2020 man so many of our brothers and sisters got fucking wrecked in march well so the max pain would be and like a, a repeat of that like thinking that we're beyond that and just ha having it happen again not down to like three thousand, but like a similar fractal from from the new highs there's a very simple strategy here, freaks. Don't use leverage. Don't keep your coins on exchanges. Don't put them in custodians that rehypothecate as a service. Just stay humble, stack sats, and you should be fine. Yeah. Um, I uh, what also what people don't realize and is like we don't need a super cycle to hit 700k at the top of the cycle. If 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 we're in line, if we're in line with 2012, then that's 700, 800k. If we're in line with the last cycle, that's about 300K. If we're somewhere in the middle, that's like completely within range. If we hit like a humble 200K, cool with that as well, you know? But this idea that like, it's this, this absolutely ridiculous concept that we could hit 800K, a million dollars, you know, sat cent parity this cycle is not like that. It's not that fucking crazy. Yeah, that's actually really interesting chart that you've been sharing in the sat standard uh, over the last month is the having tracker so if you're on twitter at having tracker it into them yeah h-a-l-v-i-n-g-t-r-a-c-k-e-r uh, at having tracker on twitter and right now they, their last tweet was 12 hours ago and we're, we're trending right with the the average of the 2012 and 2016 post having price pumps we're, we're literally right between what happened in in both so this is like a humble 600k top i'm seeing if we if we follow 2012 it would be like 700 if we follow the average of the two it would be around like 300 would be the top no no isn't 300 the 2016 one that it will in that lines like with the no the three the 2016 would be like 275 it looks like on this log scale okay so then what's the middle one it can't be 300 then it's 300. Anyway, the having tracker is run by uh, uh, is run by our boy Bitstein. So yeah. Shout out to him. 
fantastic little bot. Go check it out. I'll just keep posting in the standards, just really drill it in. Um, but you know, if I'll take six X, whatever, like this is, this is crazy. I, I haven't, the last time I felt like this was December and we were sitting at 18. And the last time I felt like that before this, before December was like in March after we got fucking absolutely killed. Um, so, you know, am I a permeable? Yeah, but my bullishness changes. Um, that's one of the reasons why I fucking went so hard on Friday uh, is just because I just, the gravity of the situation is still not being appreciated. And I just don't want, uh, I just, I, everyone thinks they're late, you know, and, and these top calls are just ridiculous. People, you know, uh, we, we had the Guggenheim guy who keeps calling for like 400, 500K tops or whatever. He's like, we might go down 50% now. Like they're just fucking with us. Scott Minrin. Yeah. And like, it comes out, like he'll, he'll call these crashes and then it'll turns out he bought a bunch of Bitcoin uh, around the same time. So all noise. I mean, that ends it. Every episode with that stay humble stack sats, just like the best strategy head down. Don't worry about all the noise out there. And that's one thing too, from like a fundamental perspective, like too many people are focused on price. Like look at what's going on in the development space. And I, I tweeted this out last night too, like nothing like in the altcoin, like alts are pumping. Everybody's like, Oh my God, is Bitcoin going to get flipping? Like what I'm seeing in the mining space, again, I've said this many times as well, but the physical infrastructure being built out for the Bitcoin network far exceeds anything. Like it only competes with fiat currencies in that regard. Like the physical infrastructure that's been built out to protect the US dollar reserve system. That's what Bitcoin's competing with. Like none of the altcoins come anywhere close to literal physical infrastructure that has been deployed to distribute and secure the Bitcoin network. Like that is the signal throughout all this altcoin noise, in my, my opinion. Like I don't even, it's like not even worth getting worked up over it anymore. Too many people are getting too worked up over it. Just head down, stack sats, just try to focus on other things. Like, yes, you can try to stop scammers. I do agree. A lot of scammers, you don't want to see people get scammed, but some people got to touch the stove and if you, it's and not if, worth getting too emotional over. And if you insist on talking price, 500 K by the end of the year, let's go. <laughs> let's go. These are my favorite shout outs, man. When you have people just talking to each other it has nothing to do with us. Shout out to my homeboy, Tyler. Shout out to my homeboys, Michael, PJ, and Vanessa. Tyler, Michael, PJ, and Vanessa. I hope this message finds you well. I have no idea who's sending it to you. Again, my favorite, my favorite type of shout out. Second to last shout out here. First of all, huge thanks to Marty and Matt for making my week every week. All right, I'm calling the freaks for help here. I'm sick and tired of hearing the central banks touting their worthless CBDC initiatives. Christine Lagarde's latest rant saying that people want private but not anonymous cryptocurrencies push me over the edge. Let's all start to call them for what they really are, surveillance tokens. I'm a pretty big believer in the power of the meme, and if we all meme that shit right back at them all over the internet when they try to push their Orwellian nightmare on us, I think we may win. People will start to automatically associate their CBDCs with surveillance, even if they first don't understand why, but it will make them think. So freaks, please let's start using the correct term from now on, it's not CBDCs, it's surveillance tokens. Stay humble, D. I agree with that. 
Yeah, I mean, I've always hated CBDCs is like such a blockchain or shitcoiner fucking term. Like that came out of nowhere. Fuck you. <laughs> just just right. a horrible term in general. It always it always bothered me. And it's they're already digital. Like they're, they're <laughs> the central bank currencies are already like digital currencies. They're like just like to think that these central bank digital currencies are going to have like a blockchain in any way. Because it's stupid. It's literally going to be the same thing, just packaged and marketed a certain way with more granular control. That yes, it's it's a surveillance tool. It's an Orwellian control tool. Like so, you so you say surveillance tool. I like to say like control tool. They want to cattle herd you into these CBDC wallets so they can control who you can interact with, how you spend your money, where you spend your money, maybe how quickly you have to spend your money. Uh, it's it's all about control. They want to control you, and these CBDCs are a very powerful tool that that they can do, um, that they can use to leverage uh, and and gain control over you, which is a very scary thought. Yeah, I mean the dollar is already a CBDC, but but what they envision when they say CBDC is they mean even even stronger control than they have right now. Yeah. I do agree with you that I think the narrative should be more control because unfortunately, while I do 100% agree that they're also going to be surveillance coins, and we've actually had them say it out loud, um, you know, that uh, uh, what Augustine Carstens of the Bank of International Settlements, I think he said, like, specifically, he was like, we can basically replace cash with something we can completely track and trace. Um, the Unfortunately, uh, I've noticed firsthand that not very many people care about their privacy. So they tend to care more about their, their money getting eroded, their wealth getting eroded their and, and just not having control, not having freedom. Um, this idea, like, I mean, I think like Mark Cuban, uh, notorious shit coiner. Uh, I, I think he, like he said for the stimulus, right. For the, the checks that get sent out to people, if we did it through a CBDC, you can make it so that if, you know, they, they have to spend it within like three weeks on specific things, um, which is just like, it just gets super draconian. And like, you know, you know, like the things you've got to spend it on are going to all be like the corporate bullshit, right? It's just like whatever corporation has, has owns our, our, owns our governments are just, those are the corporations that you're going to have to spend your shit on. Yeah. I'm pretty sure like Visa and MasterCard are starting to team up with these banks these mega banks you know, the central banks bank of international settlement imf to to start to implement this stuff so again um i think it's all about control and so freak i, I love that you pointed out this christine lagarde comment specifically and this comes on the heels of comments made by Augustine Carstens, like Matt mentioned, we're in the normalization phase. They're trying to normalize this stuff. Like Christine Lagarde stared into a camera and said, people want this. People don't want privacy. They, they, they need a, a quote unquote digital currency uh, that, that allow us to, to see what's going on and keep everything above board so that we can uh, take down like bad actors. It's, that's a, again, they're using uh, the guise of, of, of protecting people from criminals uh, to completely surveil and control them. Uh, but yeah, it's be on the lookout for we have Bitcoin. Yeah. Good thing we have Bitcoin, but just observationally moving forward, be on the lookout for these normalization campaigns. Like they're picking up, like you're, you're going to see more of this. Jer Jerome Powell will probably start you talking know, about this as well. 
I don't even know if the, like the normalization campaigns are really like at the end of the day, Marty, um, they're going to tell people we're going to give you free money because we're a central bank and we're the only ones who can give you free money. So we're going to give you free money. And if you want that free money, then you're going to fucking take it in this way. And if you don't, then you don't get it. And, and the overwhelming majority of people are going to put their head down and they're going to take the fucking cuck bucks. Yeah. Weak, weak, man. Come on. Don't let them hang that, that little carrot in front of you. Don't, don't fall for that. It's a siren call. It's a siren call. Um, all right. Last shout out. Very short and sweet. Yo from Vake. What's up, Vake? Yo. Yo. Love during you, the Vague paid $20 during the session stream to tell me that I had a cluck mentality while I was up there. A cluck mentality. Yeah. Cluck or cuck. Yeah, because YouTube YouTube won't let him YouTube won't let him type cuck. That's where cluck mentality came from. Is in the in the YouTube. <laughs> YouTube, chat, YouTube won't let you type cluck. cuck. Yep. I wonder what they think about our cuck bucks. Are we gonna get demonetized? Well, we don't even monetize on YouTube. We're going to get taken down. Dude, we're, we're already demonetized. <laughs> um, all right. Back to the list. Back in Turkey. Uh, this is why you don't keep your coins on exchanges, freaks. Uh, we have a, a Turkish exchange uh, owner basically just taking all the Bitcoin and running away. Flee the country. Suspect big crypto losses. As exchange CEO goes missing is the headline from Bloomberg. Earlier this morning, uh, the exchange is Thodex, T-H-O-D-E-X. Um, it's a tiny exchange. I wonder, um, it's awfully interesting that, you know, 10 days ago or five days ago, six days ago, yeah, because it was in between last RHR, so five days ago, the Turkish government says that at the end of the month, they're going to attempt to ban Bitcoin payments. And then this guy, like, exit scams right so i i feel like i mean fuck him for exit scamming but you know maybe it was like a, oh shit like i just got to get the fuck out of here so i'm just gonna steal all my customers money as much as possible before or if it's happens. like a s small exchange like you said is it a false flag like a, a reason to could be because that's, that's like the point. second that's like the second bullet point of the synopsis of the article is the market needs to be regulated advisor to erdogan says so maybe it's just like a scale. Oh, that's a perfect false flag. Right. Yeah. All, all you have to do is pay off one guy, right? You pay off one guy who's already probably a little bit corrupt, and then you just uh, you use it as a pretense to 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 crack down on the bigger exchanges. Yeah. We need to protect you. Government coming to protect you. They always do a good job of it. So trust them. Trust them. We talked about this earlier in the episode, but we'd like to see more exchanges adopt lightning and onboard people via lightning to help reduce fee pressure, not fee, not reduce fee pressure, but to reduce the burden of individual users having to pay on chain fees so they can keep more of their sats. And lo and behold, OKEX adds lightning support. They added lightning support this week. So it's a pretty big exchange. Um, basically adding lightning support and, and adding to that trend. And I think I saw a freak, uh, ask in the YouTube comments earlier, are there any U.S. exchanges that, that have Lightning support? River.com does. Uh, uh, LN Strike does. Uh, those are the only two. You know, Bitfinex is not only two I know of. Pretty, I'm Kraken, telling you, man. Kraken's publicly working on it, so 
Hopefully they'll have that released soon. They're, they're all working on it. There's no way that this fee pressure is happening right now. And not all, all the exchanges, all the wallets, they're all fucking scrambling to add lightning and probably also liquid, to be honest, because liquid, I mean, Bitfinex was bragging that liquid took them a couple hours to implement like lightning is a, is a major operation to implement. You have to have a liquidity strategy. You have to have this hot wallet, all this different stuff. Liquid, um, while I understand that a lot of people don't like the trade-offs, you know, especially the hardcores, because there's, there's more trust in this federation, um, uses the, the same Bitcoin APIs. They built liquid to, you know, to, to be a federated, basically a federated version of Bitcoin. It's got the same UTXO models. Everything is super easy for these services to implement. And you don't have to worry about the headache on the receiver side of, um, of liquidity or liquidity management or, or having any inbound. So I could see liquid becoming, look, if, if it doesn't, if it, if liquid isn't successful at getting adoption now in this, in this fee situation, they're never going to get it. And I, I could see it getting, it, it makes sense to me almost from like a stacker's perspective that, you know, we were talking about what's a good amount to, to, to withdraw when you're stacking. If you could just, you know, auto stack $50 a day or a week or whatever to a liquid wallet. And then so, so you go from a custody to less custody. So you have a little bit less, you have significantly less custody risk than if you keep it with a single exchange. And then once you hit, you know, you know, uh, 500,000 sats or, or a million sats, then you come back on chain or you go into lightning through there. Right. Like that, that flow kind of makes sense to me in terms of a stacker's mentality. Yeah. I like that flow. Yeah. Why not? Optionality is what, what you should look for. Different strokes for different folks. Some people would prefer lightning. Some people would prefer liquid, different types of users, different solutions provide different utility. So why not create optionality? Any of you Bitcoin exchanges out there that are, messing in shit coinery, you're, you're basically dropping the ball, providing these services for probably like your core customer, which is Bitcoiners who you should probably be driving, trying to drive more value towards instead of, um, chasing the fees of, of shitcoin casinos. I know it's very lucrative. Um, and it's hard, hard to not see why these exchanges would go after those fees. Again, it's very lucrative, but is it a short-term decision that that'll bite you in the ass in the long term? I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so surprised if it is. So, hundred percent, it is. If you already support Bitcoin or, or Bcash, you can easily implement Liquid. Just, just get it fucking done. Uh, I think like right now, what is like Bitfinex is the only one that I know of that offers it, and they offer both Lightning and Liquid. Mm -hmm. so. I'm trying to think. I can't, I can't think of another off the top of my head. Um, so with this OKEx news that. Uh, Deposits and withdrawals, which is good to say. So you can both send Bitcoin to sell if you're into that or withdraw to a Lightning wallet using OKEx. So shout out to that team. More pressure. All you exchanges out there, get on it, Cash App, get on it. Let's get on it. You know Cash App's definitely scrambling. I mean, Jack has an investment in Lightning Labs. I think that this OKEx thing is a perfect example, right? Because they announced it a couple months ago that they were working on Lightning. And the fees definitely just push their hand. You know, they're like, fuck, we got to get it done. How close are we? You know, like over oh, 90% done with our integration. Like fucking bring it live. We have to make it happen. Like some guys worked extra hours, you know, to make it happen. And that's exactly what we want to see from this, the, 
fees, right? It's like, is is like they create good incentives um, to be more efficient on chain. Yes, 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 yes. Already mentioned it earlier, but it doesn't hurt to announce it again. Cash App raises the withdrawal minimum to 100,000 sats from 10,000 sats. So just be aware of that. If you're a Cash App user, I'm sure the app will make you aware of that if you try to send less than 100,000 sats, so. Yeah, they didn't release they they didn't release a press release like it was it was discovered because people tried to withdraw underneath and it pops up a warning. Yeah. Um, should be noted too. Like you can send if you're sending to another Cash App user, you can just send it within the app. Much easier. Send it to the Cash Tag. If 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 both parties are comfortable with that, I see you shaking your head over there. Um, uh, custodial layer two. <laughs> Hal, Hal Finney's vision. Just kidding. Uh, Bitcoin Core version 0.21.1 RC1 Taproot Speedy Trial Client has been released. And of course, it comes with more drama. It's a Taproot drama. There's a lot true. A lot of false drama ever going to end. So yes, Speedy Trial. Uh, if you listen to the episode with uh, Ben Carmen, if you listen to Citadel Dispatch and since last week, uh, speedy trial has been merged and activated into core. Uh, it's going to start after the next difficulty adjustment, which now is estimated to be on May 1st. You can start signaling for that. So you can download this version of Bitcoin core and um, that will have speedy trial activated. And of course, not of course, but um, there's also a user activated software taproot client that's been released. So that's at Bitcoin taproot.cc. Um, and so what, what are you seeing with both activation so, methods playing out in, in parallel? So, um, yeah, so the last two, the last two shows we've had on this podcast feed have, have focused on Taproot and they both had Ben, Ben Carmen in them. Um, the, so speedy trial is, 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 is included in both clients. Um, this second one, this user activated soft fork version is if speedy trial fails, if miners fail to signal, which it doesn't seem like they will, it seems like there's over 90% support to signal for taproot within the three month signaling period of speedy trial. But if that weren't to happen, anyone running this, uh, this alternative client, Bitcoin taproot.cc, um, would basically UASF in taproot, I think October 22nd. Um, is it somewhere around there is, is, is the time for them to do it. Uh, so it's like kind of like a, a gun to miners heads. Um, it's probably a little bit premature, you know, you could technically run it after speedy trial happens and, and there'll be, you know, if, if speedy trial, if the signaling fails, um, you can run it at that point and there's no, you know, there's no, uh, difference than if you were running it today. Um, but you know, it's good to see adversarial Bitcoiners still out there, you know, there's, it's important that Bitcoin core isn't like this behemoth that can't be touched, I think, in my opinion. And I, I do think it's a very interesting thing to keep in mind in that in Bitcoin Optech, you know, I love Bitcoin Optech newsletter, but they did not mention that this UASF client existed. They only mentioned the, the Bitcoin core client, which is a very interesting thing just for the freaks to keep in mind. Be aware, freaks. Again, I think both, obviously, Matt said both have speedy trial activated so that 
signaling will start at block height 681,408. So that's when signaling will be possible. Uh, earliest activation with the user activated soft fork uh, and I believe speedy trial um, as well with the Bitcoin Core release as well is November 12th. Um, yeah, you're gonna win the bet. That's block 709,632. Latest activation with the user activated soft fork would be around November 11th, 2022. Um, and the timeout height if it, none of this works, uh, is 760,032, block 760,032, which is estimated to be around Halloween next year. Um, this is for no, but that's not, that's when the UASF comes into play. That's right? when the times out, that's when it times out. That's when like, if you don't get 90% threshold with user activated software, then you, we go back to the drawing board. Again, I, I no, think no, 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 no. The UASF, if you run the Bitcoin taproot.cc client, it's going to force, it's going to force taproot in, in October, 2022. It's the timeout. Right. Okay. So the timeout isn't just stop. It's just like, all right, it's activated. If you're running this, they both have speedy trial in them. So if that's and a three month listening? signaling period, <laughs> it's a, it's a three month signaling period. If, if miners, if miners signal, then both clients will just proceed for activating taproot around November, right? Of this year, Marty wins the bet. I pay HRF a million sats. If that three month period, it doesn't, we don't have 90% minor signal, which once again, we, I expect that we will, but we don't. Then, then if, then the UASF nodes will fork off the network in October of next year. And, you know, it's yet to be seen, you know, what happens in that situation, right? There's going to be a, there will be a fight. It'll be like, uh, ish, kind of like 2017. It'll be a Mexican standoff probably leading up to it. Um, and uh, we'll see who goes where. Yeah, I don't think it gets to that point. But if it does get to that point, this is how it will play out with this client specifically. Uh, Aaron Van Weirdum incredible technical writer over at Bitcoin Magazine has written um, a write-up for this. If you're interested to learn um, about that, he dropped that uh, three days ago. So if you if you want to learn more and have that uh, articulated in a much more technical fashion, Aaron has, uh, has laid everything out over at Bitcoin Magazine. So we're going to link to that in the show notes. Um, and now we're at software updates, a very short software update week, two lines. My node version 0.2.30 has been released. Looking at the release notes, since we only have two releases, uh, it doesn't seem like anything too crazy. They don't really have really good release notes, it seems. On the GitHub page, at least. It just has source code. Yeah, so. the release notes are separate. Yeah. Uh, but from what I remember on a glance, it was just, you know, they updated a bunch of packages that were in there. All right. And then start nine. There, there's... Um, this is a they're, big one. They're noted in the box at Sphinx, Onion Pages, and Photo View. So sovereign. And yeah, so I had one of the co-founders of Start Nine on the show, Proof of Keeks, Keegan, uh, on Dispatch, not this week, but last week. Uh, if you if you haven't listened, consider go checking it out. It's a pretty cool project. Um, and they've just been adding new um, apps, if you want to call them apps, to uh, to this to this node in a box. Um, platform they have. These three are pretty cool. 
uh, well, Sphinx, obviously, we're, we're big uh, promoters of Sphinx here. So it's good to see them add Relay. Uh, so if you're a Start9 user, now you're joining uh, the ranks of Umbral and Raspberry Blitz and being able to easily uh, run Sphinx from your own node. Um, and then they added this thing called Onion Pages. Uh, I think they're calling it Embassy Pages. That's their name of their OS. But Onion Pages, which is this idea that you can run a static uh, tour only website directly from your node without exposing your IP address, which is really fucking cool. Um, there, I think there's a service called an app called onion share on, on desktop where you can do the same thing. Um, so that's dope. And then the last one's called photo viewer, which is like a drop in replacement of like Google photos, but you run it from your node. So Hell yeah. Cool. Yeah. And so their node software, their operating systems, embassy, Start nine labs.com is their website, S C A R T nine, the number nine labs.com. Really cool team. Uh, as Matt said, he had Keegan on Citadel Dispatch a couple weeks ago. Matt Hill, their CEO, has been on TFTC as well. If you're interested to learn more about that sovereignty in a box that they're working on with their embassy operating system, I highly recommend you check it out. And it goes well beyond Bitcoin. When was Matt on the show? God, earlier this year. Or end of last year, I forget exactly when. I think he um, was just down in Texas for BitDevs and uh, Beefsteak. I didn't run into him, which is odd. I should have. I, I met him. I met him and Keegan at uh, Bitblock Boom this year. Yeah, good dudes. Very good dudes. Very good project. Again, sovereignty in a box. Their embassy OS. Square and Arc. They argue that Bitcoin is good for the environment in their white paper that they dropped yesterday, basically explaining that Bitcoin incentivizes the production of renewable energy sources because Bitcoin miners will be the energy consumer of first resort. They'll, they'll be in the first customers that show up and say, hey, we'll take this cheap electricity uh, and allow you to produce more and more of this electricity generation via solar and wind um, and hopefully... By doing that, it'll it'll lead to more green renewable energy generation um, being produced and used by the world. Yeah, what are your thoughts on this, Mister Miner? <sighs> I mean, I think it's good. I think it's true. Yeah, the Bitcoin mining certainly incentivizes this. Um, when it comes to particularly the the levelized cost of energy. Uh, in the paper, it was like, so we had our engineers at Great American Mining talking about this yesterday. And there's some misleading information about green energy production as opposed to like something like something that's energy dense, like natural gas or oil. Um, while yes, the LCOE, the levelized cost of energy has fallen 90%. And um, wind and solar are saying is between 2% or excuse me, two cents per kilowatt hour uh, and five cents per kilowatt hour. It's a bit misleading because the capacity and the intermittency of those green technologies is considerably low compared to like something like natural gas where it's around 40% capacity um, for the, L the levelized cost of energy where something like natural gas is around 86%. So yes, they're in the same uh, levelized cost of energy range. However, when it comes to actually being reliable, um, they really don't compare. So it's a little bit truth, a little bit virtue signaling. Would you agree? Yes. And I don't. But it's important so virtue signaling, right? Because we have 
we have so many that virtue signal from the opposite side, right? That it's like, it's very important that we have large companies just come out. Like, did you see like the interchange between like Jack Elon, retweeted it yes. and then Elon Musk responded underneath like true. Like yes. that's, that's fantastic for Bitcoin in terms of um, countering this, uh, this, this narrative that Bitcoin is bad for the environment. Yes. Well, so preface this rant with the fact that I love everybody involved like, and square crypto team, Steve Lee, of course, Mark team, Yassine, miles, everybody involved. I don't think we should kowtow to these people. Like we should not kowtow to the hysterics that want us to act a certain way. Like, again, I've been saying this on Gamcast, particularly strong men need to stand up and speak sense to the world. Like, I'm all for green energy production, electricity production from green energy sources, but we should not kowtow to these literal anti-human communists who hate the fact that we consume energy and, and produce electricity and that want to push us towards these literally unreliable, like definitionally, like you can't rely on the sun being out all the time or wind being blowing all the time. Uh, and the batteries just aren't there yet. And there's this very concerted effort by people who have frankly just been <laughs> wrong time and time again for literal decades um, that are trying to push us towards this, this uh, unreliable energy source that is literally going to make humanity worse off. It's going to drive up energy prices. It's going to make energy uh, and electricity uh, deliverability unreliable, uh, which which leads to the blackouts that we've seen in Austin, in the Texas area this year, and in California. Uh, and I, I just don't think we should kowtow to these people. We should stand up and speak sense. Like fossil fuels are good, organic fuels are good. Uh, but are they really kowtowing? Like they have to, they, they, they have to fight back. Right. So they, and you got to fight back in like a, a diplomatic way. You know, I don't know if, uh, you know, they're playing chess. It's a Are chess they diplomatic, move. But like, is the other side diplomatic about it? Like they, they literally. It doesn't matter. You're playing play chess. You got to win the chess game. Yes. I mean, it is true. Bitcoin mining does incentivize the production of, of green energy sources. Right. And it, it, many Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining as an industry is probably the highest penetration of green energy sources as an electricity generation mechanism of any industry in the world. These things are true. Um, however, I don't think we should pretend like we're going to be able to uh, transition to a completely green energy um, future. And then also it sort of glosses over <laughs> the amount of hydrocarbons that are necessary to actually produce this quote-unquote green energy future. I say quote-unquote green energy because it takes an immense amount of uh, fossil fuels to produce these technologies. There's, there's two different things here, right? There's Bitcoiners that are... It's one thing if a Bitcoiner is, uh, you know, accepting someone else's narrative, right? And we shouldn't accept other people's narratives we should just, you know, stand our fucking ground. Um, but these three companies that are involved here, uh, Square, Tesla, and Arc, they operate in the public markets, right? And there's a ton of market pressure in terms of being green and being all these different stuff. So they yes, have, yes, you know, they have, yeah, they, they have fiduciary duty to their shareholders 
to maintain their share price and ex extend their share price. I don't even know if it's, they, they're basically justifying their support of Bitcoin to shareholders from their narrative. And it is what it is. Like that's their incentive uh, I agree. to do that, right? I agree. I agree. I, and I, again, I think, again, there's some misleading stats in there, but it is true that Bitcoin does incentivize this, this clean energy production. But I don't know. I worry... Like I've I've been completely Alex Epstein pilled. Like it, like if you listen to him, you read his book, and you you understand like the nuance around the conversation when it comes to electricity production. Like if if like the Greta Thunbergs of the world get their way, it is bad for humanity. Electricity prices are going to go up. Electricity reliability is going to go down, and people are going to be worse off for it. And most importantly, the poorest people in the world are going to be considerably worse off for it. And that's like the weird paradox of this whole green movement is it's it's uh posturing like it's going to save people and save the planet when it's actually going to hurt the most disadvantaged people on the planet the most i i just i don't think you're going to be able to stop i, I don't consider it really that much of a threat because i i don't think you're going to be able to stop people from using whatever the cheapest energy is that's available and uh someone that i respect the band uh, marty bent uh, once said that Bitcoin is the Green New Deal. So I feel it like is. this is just like the corporate, it, this is the corporate way of saying that in a research paper. Yes, it is. It is. But again, I just want, so that's the thing. But it is virtue signaling for this ESG narrative to fill, sit within these guidelines or these, this narrative. That's ESG been is like markets. CBDC. Yeah, exactly. And it's so like that. I, I, I got into a Telegram chat about this yesterday. Like, and people are like, oh, well, this is the only way you can get access to capital is you have to posture like you're doing this. And it's like, what are we doing here? Like, we're trying to bring Bitcoin to the masses, the Bitcoin network, the Bitcoin ledger, which represents objective truth. And we're going to virtue signal for this thing that if it is successful is going to make humanity worse off and doesn't follow objective truth. The, the narrative that's being pushed by the, the, the climate hysterics is, is like, is doesn't have truth behind it. It's it, they miss, they use statistics and probability to manipulate headlines and, and stories. They, they cherry pick data and manipulate data to, to push a narrative that isn't driven by objective truth. And that's why, like, I think, again, like in every aspect of what we're doing here in modernity, like, we need strong men to stand up and, like, speak sense. We can't, like, kowtow to these hysterics who are wrong and they are misleading and they are disingenuous uh, and be a Bitcoiner at the same time. Like, I just don't think that there's logical consistency there from, like, Bitcoiners. We, we go and we're trying to bring objective truth to the world in, via this ledger. We should we should search and try to bring objective truth to the world outside of this ledger too, to be morally, ethically, logically consistent. So that's where I, I don't want to cowtell to these people anymore. And you don't have to. You know, the cool part about Bitcoin is that we don't have you know a centralized messaging department, right? We don't have a centralized uh, you know anything. So the so so you have different participants, and they're going to all act in different ways. Um, but ultimately, our incentives align in terms of Bitcoin becoming more robust and and the price going up. So yes, 
I mean, obviously, disclaimer, we're for Great American Mining. We use natural gas as our, our energy source to produce electricity for our ASICs. Okay, yeah. And again, like, but even you, you do it in a green way, right? Yeah, yeah. We we help reduce methane leak. Uh, like we could. Uh, that's the thing that pisses me off. Is like we could, we could take advantage of this ESG narrative too. Like we we certainly do. But it's like ah, uh, like the carbon credit game. The, the carbon credit game. The, the whole concept of like net zero carbon. It literally does not make sense. We are carbon based life forms. If you want net zero carbon, like everybody would have to die on the planet. That's like, what I'm saying, right? Like it's so like, not logically under- consistent. My understanding is Tesla thrives on that regulatory situation with carbon credits and whatnot. They make a ton of money off of them. Yeah. Um, and it's so, all a counting game. Like it's not. No, but, that, but that's what I'm saying. You can't purely, you can't purely judge uh, his like uh, Elon's moves based on a Bitcoin narrative, right? He's got to do the Tesla narrative too. Like he's, his whole company's based on that shit. Yeah. And it's all subsidized. A lot of it's subsidized by the government and, Again, it's again objective truth. Bitcoin sound money leads to a more accurate allocation of capital. Good argument to be made that there's been a ton of capital misallocated towards these quote unquote green energy solutions that has made society worse off if nothing had been done in terms of subsidies for those particular free market for energy will sort it out, and Bitcoin is that free market. Yes, and again, I want to say I love everybody involved. yeah, they they know I love them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Objective truth. Seek objective truth. Don't kowtow to extremist. Because that's like that's how you get into these problems, right? Like, uh, is it cowtail or cow toe? Cow toe. K o w t o w. Okay, that's what I thought. Cowtail. I, I accent coming out here. Um, and what's the what's the definition for the freaks? There's someone asking in the chat. Uh, basically be subservient and try to uh, appease. Bend the knee. Yeah, bend the knee. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, bang, bang. Um, this is so weird, dude. I saw this. I was like, what? Is Binance a spoof company? Door. Yeah, former controller of the currency, Brian Brooks, the new CEO of Binance USA. So the, we had two back-to-back. So Brian Brooks is, is, is extra funny because so Brian Brooks, I mean, this is just classic regulatory capture, revolving door, corruption, bullshit. So Brian Brooks was the, the chief lawyer at Coinbase, you know, fought to dump unregistered securities on retail. Then he became the comptroller of the currency. Um, then Coinbase IPO'd or he left the comptroller of the currency because of the administration change. Then Coinbase IPO'd. I'm sure he got like a nice little package out of there. And now he's joining Binance US, fresh out of the US government role. And then we have um, the, the ex-CFTC chair, uh, Giancarlo, um, is now a board member of BlockFi. So like these, you know, this is the, the corrupt old system just playing out just as it's always played out. The revolving door. It's like, so this is like, a, is Binance ever going to get great play by Binance. Yeah, right. Like they're they're, <laughs> they're like a lot of people expect them to get brought down by the long dick of the law, but this is a pretty strong ally they brought on to to their The funniest company. part was CoinDesk TV had Brian Brooks on for the news and he's like he's talking about how he wanted to join Binance because they're the only ones that are really prepared to fight the largest incumbent Coinbase. And they just like let him get away with saying that, even though he was the, the head lawyer of that, that largest incumbent, he's just double dipping. 
or triple right. dipping or whatever, which all the power to them, you know, it's, it's part of what it is. It's playing. The um, game. But yeah, like, I mean, I, this has got to make you more bullish on Binance's long-term U S goals. Right. And this to have, I mean, he's going to be, he'll probably be a fantastic CEO for them. Yeah. I mean, that, the, in terms of like playing within the regulatory boundaries and, and trying to get a leg up in that perspective, yeah. if you couldn't ask for. And in some ways, you know, the corruption and the regulatory capture is like good for Bitcoiners. And, uh, you know, I, because because there are some incentives that are aligned but uh i i like this this idea that this idea that uh, giancarlo at the cftc was was protecting consumers and just wants to protect consumers and then he joins like one of the most predatory companies in the space um as a board member um is just you know i i, I don't know like at least brian brooks was consistent you know he fought Coinbase's legal battles. Then he went into he went into office of the U.S. government and he secured those legal battles. And now he's going to fight the same exact legal battles. Continue that role over at Binance. But but with the the C going from uh, the CFTC where he Giancarlo was saying that he was uh, protecting consumers and then you just immediately go out to this feels a little bit more. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, the revolving door. It should be expected. And you just mentioned it, right? Giancarlo, former CFTC head, uh, Christopher Giancarlo. I believe he was Bitcoin known dad. as like Bitcoin dad. Yeah, uh, he joined uh, BlockFi's board of directors. So widely recognized as a regulatory trailblazer in the digital assets space, mm-hmm. Giancarlo will be a source of trusted counsel for the company as it continues to grow and innovate. Yeah. It's important. He's going to make sure that they're too big to fail when the bailout comes. <laughs> Matthew, Matthew. Speculation. Yeah, 100% speculation. You are correct. <laughs> um, yeah, so we have former regulators and Brian Brooks. Is that a regulator, comptroller? Pol- not a politician, but I a think that's bureaucrat. a regulator. Yeah, regulator. Joining I board. think it's interesting where where people talk about being hit. They like some stories will call on the former comptroller, and some will call on the former chief lawyer of Coinbase. It's an interesting dichotomy. Yeah. Where's Ben Losky going next? That's what we gotta figure out. Yeah. So Ben was the trailblazer, right? Because he was at the New York Department of Financial Services. He passed a bit license to protect consumers from rampant scams in the Bitcoin cryptocurrency space, and then he joined Ripple's fucking board. So. <laughs> everything seems better than that yeah 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 agreed on to the next one though two more items on the list actually three more items unless i want to just add something at the end there the intelligent bitcoin miner part two so uh the team in a nietzsche research leo zhang uh jack kohler uh, teamed up with Kareem Helmy from Galaxy Digital, moved from Coinmetrics to Galaxy, uh, to basically release a part two of the Intelligent Bitcoin Miner, which is a series that Leo and, and Jack have been working on and trying to help um, illustrate and create models around miner profitability, taking electricity costs, mining model, initial investment into consideration. And this is 
a really thorough piece on some of the models they're working on. They've actually open sourced it too. So if you're a miner or just an enthusiast of the mining space is looking to uh, get an idea of future profitability in different uh, hash rate and price environments, uh, Kareem, Leo, and Jack have open sourced this model on GitHub so you can plug in your electricity costs, the mining model that you're using, your initial investment, and these models will run uh, different price scenarios and hash rate scenarios in the future and, and give you an insight into what your potential profitability would be, which is really cool. Do you have anything to add to this one? Uh, yeah, I mean, cheers to them. It's uh, awesome that they open sourced all the modeling and, and the tooling. Um, we have uh, John Fisher in the chat. I just interesting little fact, you know, kowtow uh, is borrowed from Cantonese, Chinese, and it's it, it means when you kneel or bow all the way to your head touching the ground. And that's where it comes from. Yeah. Shout out John Fisher for that, that insight. But did you know it was Chinese? Did not. Did not. And yeah, neither did I. Cantonese. Cool. Kowtow. Yeah. It's like, don't be subservient to something that's not logically consistent or based on an objective truth. Yeah. I mean, we're definitionally correct. It's just interesting that it's based in Chinese. Yeah. Uh, what we got here? Signal hacks, uh, hacking company celebrate. This was interesting. Super cool. They're making up for their shitcoinry. So you want to uh, dive into the exploited vulnerabilities and celebrate UFED and physical analyzer from an app's perspective. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a mouthful of a title. Celebrate is famous for they have they have this tooling. They have these devices where you can pull all information off of a phone if you have physical, if you're holding it physically. And a lot of police departments use it. Um, authoritarian regimes, they, they sell it all around to all these different horrible governments um, to attack protesters and attack dissidents. Um, they've been involved with, you know, hacking iPhones and stuff to try and gain access. And they try and automate it. And they're really veiled in a lot of secrecy. They have NDA agreements with these companies that use them, that they can't share their stuff. Um, and it's all very closed and, and, and there's not really that much insight into it. So Signal got, um, the Signal team got their hands on one of their kits. Um, and it's really funny because they legally can't have access to it. So in the, in the post, he's like, I was walking down the street and all of a sudden, uh, one of the Celebrite kits just fell out of a truck right in front of me. And I like walked <laughs> up to it and sure enough, it said Celebrite on it. And I picked it up and I started looking at it. So. He's going through like all the code and shit. And ironically enough, this, these guys are, their business is finding compromises in these devices and these apps. Um, and meanwhile, their code just had tons and tons of compromises. And part of what it does as a software is it basically is pulling all the files and everything off of your devices, you know, signal messages, stuff like that. WhatsApp messages, contact lists, locations, and it gives it to you in a browsable format on a Windows computer so that a, a police officer, law enforcement, authoritarian regimes, um, general bad guys can, can then go through it, border control, can go through it in an organized way. Well, it turns out that if you take a device and you just start pulling everything off of it onto your own device, um, you open yourself up to a ton of different compromises. So they've developed... Um, which also they can't say, uh, they, they notice that if certain files get pulled off the phone, 
um, onto the computer, you can compromise the Celebrate installation. And not only will it screw up the current uh, download, it will screw up all future and past downloads that are still on the device. And they're completely coincidentally, because they can't say this either, at the end of the post, they're like, but completely unrelated to the above, we've added this new feature to signal that just happens to download these random files onto your device that are, are just for aesthetic purposes. It's just to make uh, the app look nice and it has nothing to do with the Celebrite article or whatever. So they're basically threatening them that if, if they continue to keep signal added, they don't, they'll never know if they're at some point, they'll just get compromised. So they can just basically put malicious files in the signal app that if anybody ever tries to access it with Celebrite, it'll bork the Celebrite implementation. Yeah, it's not a malicious file to the signal user, but it's a malicious, it, it, it's the compromise file that, that'll, that'll hit Celebrite. Boss. And boss. then they also said they may or may not have shared that with other app developers. <laughs> like they completely just flipped it on its head. Boss. Shout out to, I mean, shout out to Signal. Obviously, we're uh, not fans of the shit coining, but this is a pretty, pretty boss way to attack uh, surveillance tech. I dig it. I dig it as well. Last but not least, coming up on two hours here, Jeremy Rubin. We've been uh, following op chat template verify in the bent and on this podcast for like two years now. I think I first heard about it in like 2019. Uh, basically, op CTV, the shortened version of check template verify, would uh, create a ability to create very descriptive covenants in Bitcoin transactions. So, uh, you get really creative with with how you disperse funds and who can be involved in a certain transaction. Jeremy released uh, Sapio, which is a library that allows you to construct. Uh, op CTV transactions as, as well as um, a bunch of other things. Uh, you can test like Taproot stuff with it too, I believe. Um, and I just think it was a really cool tool. Jeremy demoed it to me over a year ago now at this point. It was really cool then. It was really rough around the edges and it seems like he's tightened it up and has released it. And uh, he's got a few examples that he's put out there already. One being uh, if op CTV gets merged into core, uh, would one thing you'd be able to do with the covenant structure that it enables is something like a decentralized mining pool where you can decentralize the payout aspect of, of, of mining, which is just pretty massive. So um, people working on Stratum V2, Brains and Square Crypto, Braid Pool with Bob McElrath and Voscule, which they're thinking about. And then like this is a, another decentralized mining pool solution that could be possible if OpCTV gets activated, merged and activated. Um, so that's BIP 119. And I think there's other ways that it could be. Obviously, there's got to be some debate around whether or not that is worth merging in. Um, and yeah, from what I can tell about Sapio, particularly this this library that Jeremy built, is that uh, at least what I can glean from people talking about it is that it's pretty impressive, uh, the, the things that you can build with a very little amount of code. Um, but I am a dumb podcaster. I can't speak to... Uh, the expressiveness of it with with any authority. So if any of you freaks uh, know more about it, have used it, um, let us know. Respond to the the tweet. Cheers to, cheers to you, Jeremy. Appreciate you. Yeah. All right, that was all we had on the list. What else were we thinking? I think it was a very expansive RHR, and uh, it was a very good rip. 
coffee rip. You weren't drinking coffee. What were you drinking? I was drinking coffee the whole time. Yeah. I did one bottle pop because there was a, a freak in the comments who said, if I didn't do a bottle pop, then they were going to assume I was a deep fake. So I gave them a bottle pop. <laughs> it was a fake, fake news. Well, I miss you, brother. You got to get down to Austin. You got to check it out. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess no matter what, I'll see you in Miami uh, within a, it's almost like gonna. It's almost a month out now. It's uh, pretty close. It's sneaking up on us. Sneaking up on us. Um, but I do miss you as well. Bitcoin Conference 2021 in Miami. What is it? BT dot C. B dot B dot TC slash conference. B dot TC slash conference. Go check it out. We're gonna be down there. Or we're we still getting a humble discount. I think so. Uh, but the ticket prices have risen. So yeah, discount humble, all caps. I believe it's fifteen percent off. I think this thing is going to sell out pretty fucking soon. Like it's really, really tight. Um, and uh, yeah, so if you haven't gotten a ticket yet, consider it. Um, it should be a fun time. I, I am looking forward to. It. We are going to do a live RHR there. Um, I threw some shade at them. That uh, it's like last time we did it on a picnic table. You know, and so I think we might actually be on the stage. We'll see. So I'm looking forward to it. Bang, bang. Well, thank you, Freaks, for joining us. I know it was a little earlier this week. Hopefully, we'll be back to our... Actually, we won't be next week because I actually have a hop of flight Thursday night um, out of Philly at a bachelor party in Scottsdale, Freaks. Um, well, maybe it'll yeah, be it early. Be the... oh, it might be the weekend, the week after that. I don't know. Early afternoon. Um Thank you guys for joining. Hey, head down. Keep stacking sats. I mean, the price we're in this consolidation phase. Uh, fundamentals are very strong right now. Uh, we will have a difficulty adjustment at some point between April 29th and May 2nd, I would imagine. And then we're going to see uh, the speedy trial start. So that'll be interesting to cover. Um, yeah. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for the shout outs. Uh, love the shout outs. If you guys want to contribute, tftc.io slash contribute. If you're listening, wherever you're listening, if you can give us a like, a subscribe, a rating, a review, it all goes a long way. I'm trying to get uh, stop being stop being bearish, freaks. I love you all. Stay humble, stack sets. Peace and love.